Hey there, we'll start the Cloudcast in just a second. But if you're listening to this podcast, you already know that the IT transformations we're going through today depend on a lot more than just the raw technology itself. I'm John Mark Troyer, and I am organizing The Reckoning, a conference in Half Moon Bay, California, on September 13th and 14th. At The Reckoning, we'll talk about how technologists can take charge of their careers, communicate more effectively, and create a future IT that does not suck. Invest in yourself and come join us at this community event. Listeners of the Cloudcast can get $100 off by using the code CLOUDCAST. Go to signup.techreckoning.com to register. Now here's Brian and Aaron from the Massive Studios with another exciting episode of the Cloudcast. Cloudcast Media presents, from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is The Cloudcast with Aaron Delb and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to another episode of The Cloudcast. We're coming to you live from uh, LinuxCon 2015 here in Seattle. Uh, first off, huge thank you to the Linux Foundation for uh, once again having us at a me- excuse me as a media sponsor for the event. Um, Super cool guest today, Jim Zemlin. Jim, how are you doing? And give a quick introduction, even though probably no introduction needed. Uh, I'm uh, the. Thanks for having me. First of all, I'm the executive director of the Linux Foundation. Awesome, awesome. So we're going to dive right in. We're going to really kind of talk about foundations and open source today. Mm-hmm. What is changing? in the market or communities uh we've seen so many kind of get created in the last 12 to 18 months and everything is just you know explosive growth right now right so tell us a little bit about like what's what's it like from your view Mm -hmm. um well you know sam ramsey i thought did a terrific job yesterday explaining uh the rise of uh, all of these different foundations but what is essentially going on is uh a, a few different things one open source is really defining the modern uh, underlyings of computing. Uh, and that's because open source has proven to be a better, faster, cheaper way to create software. Uh, it provides uh, organizations a way to shed commodity R&D and focus on the things that their customers really care about. I mean, you know, if you're Netflix or Facebook, you know, you're all kind of doing the same kind of web scale uh, infrastructure. Uh, these companies open source uh, the software and share it with each other to improve it because what they really care about are their users and their data. So that's that's one thing that's going on. Uh, the second thing that's going on is as open source becomes more critical to uh, every aspect of modern computing, uh, organizations become more dependent on that open source software, and they want to be assured that uh, the software that they're all jointly developing is uh, being uh, jointly developed in a place that offers a level playing field, uh, a way to manage the intellectual property assets of that uh, open source project uh, that enables uh, the people who are closest to the code, that is the developers themselves, to make the technical decisions for that project. Uh, They want an organization that can help uh, underwrite the software development infrastructure that's required to do this, and, and that's really what foundations do. Uh, and uh, as a result of uh, those two things coming together, the Linux Foundation has been uh, uh, fortunate to be in a position where, you know, by hosting the world's largest open source project, Linux, we just have a good set of background and experience to do that kind of work. Uh, but I want to underscore that by saying um, I think what we do effectively is uh, – work with uh, business and people who you know want to use this uh, 
technology in commercial products in uh, marrying them to a community process that really enables the brilliant developers. And we do that by essentially, you know, uh, being a roadie to the rock stars of open source, right? That's kind of what we do. Yep. And, and, and so you bring up some interesting points there. You know, some people have kind of said, you know, the, the, the new open source foundations, they're really becoming the new standards committees, um, which, you know, when we say standards committees, some people get a little itchy uh, when it comes to kind of having a reputation for at times slowing down innovation, mm-hmm. quite frankly. And mm-hmm. so, you know, what we're really seeing is technology really the acceleration and everything just is moving faster and faster and faster. And do you almost see it sometimes of a, this is a little bit of uh, – governor if you will of it, you know the open source foundations it's it's allowing it to go fast but at the same not too fast well so i i don't think that's actually happening sure. so i think uh, i'll take your first point and then i'll address the second point uh the first point is that uh the role of standards bodies is uh moving into a a venue of open source development projects i think that is actually true now i think that standards and specifications and work that comes out of standards development or organizations like the IEEE or W3C still remain critically important to technology. But increasingly, a way for uh, people to achieve interoperability in technology is through open source projects. Now, let me give you a specific example. We have a project called AllScene, uh, which is an IoT framework for uh, devices to publish their capabilities and then have other devices subscribe to those capabilities. And it allows your television to interact with your phone, with your car, your garage door opener, your home automation system, etc. It is much more efficient to hand a light bulb manufacturer uh, a bunch of code that they can implement as opposed to a 500-page specification, right? Fair enough. And so that certainly accelerates the goal of uh, standard setting, which is interoperability. Now, the second point you uh, said, which is do these open source foundations, uh, I think your implication was do they put a sense of bureaucracy around these projects that would uh, limit the pace at which innovation uh, happens? Uh, and that may be, in theory, uh, something that you would bring extrapolate from you know standards bodies, which tend to take longer. Uh, but in practice, we found to be the opposite case. I'll give you some specific examples of that. The projects that we host, since they've come to the Linux Foundation, collectively have produced 64 million lines of code. It would take a thousand developers 24 years to replicate this code. That's worth through you know pretty standard software valuation models, $5 billion. That doesn't include Linux. That doesn't include the code they came to with at the starting line. That's just the code that they're creating within the last few years uh, within these projects themselves. So uh, you know, slowing things down, quite the opposite, uh, accelerating things. I think it also brings something important to the table that open source projects need, which is resources. Uh, We have seen what happens when open source projects, which run, again, most of modern society, fail to get the resources they need. You get things like Heartbleed, where OpenSSL, which everyone depends on for the privacy and security of the Internet, uh, is being run by two guys named Steve. And so what we've done is created mechanisms, and we started one, for example, called the Core Infrastructure Initiative that now provides fellowships to additional developers to work on OpenSSL, is conducting a full audit of the OpenSSL project, is paying money to OpenSSL developers to meet in person uh, for the first time ever, uh, and is essentially assisting that project and other important projects 
projects that keep time on the internet, projects that keep uh, secure communications between servers secure, uh, we're providing much needed funding to uh, those those particular projects. So the resources that we're bringing to the table here is really enabling the actual developers who actually write the code that runs so much of our daily lives. Yeah, that's perfect. Makes sense. To kind of move on then to another topic, um, another way that I, I think I'm kind of, a, I shouldn't say emerging trend, but certainly a more popular trend these days is more quote-unquote traditional companies getting engaged with open source software, typically via the foundations. You know, take the Cloud Foundry uh, Foundation, for example, that you know, I was pretty familiar with, and we actually did a bunch of shows from earlier this year. Um, what guidance would you give kind of the leadership of some of those companies, uh, you know, especially if uh, a lot of these more traditional companies, they don't necessarily think open source first. So what's happening there is a secondary effect of a more primary thing that's happening in in traditional uh, technology or traditional companies, I should say, companies in ag, you know, for example, traditional industries like agriculture or automotive. Essentially, these companies are becoming technology companies, right? That's the first thing that's happening is a car now has more lines of code than your mobile device. Uh, In order to conserve water or to uh, compete uh, in the market, uh, farmers are using precision agriculture powered by uh, unmanned aerial vehicle technology and software that can take that data and run it through analytics and, and create value out of that software. And so now that everybody's in technology, Technology, uh, they need to figure out how they can actually, uh, you know, become a technology company. Uh, I'll use a specific example in the auto sector as uh, what's really happening there. Uh, you know, five, six years ago, more than that, maybe I started engaging with the auto sector, and uh, you know, they would come to me and, and say, you know, we've got a big problem. Uh, we've got a uh, competition that comes uh, in our navigation, entertainment, and in vehicle systems from you know two things. Uh, a piece of Velcro and an iPad, right? We're now competing with uh, Apple, one of the most successful consumer electronics companies in, in fact, arguably the most successful uh, technology company in the world. And so their question is, how do I do it? And uh, what we said is, hey, listen, even if you look inside each iPhone, you'll see things like OpenSSL and other open source, many, many pieces of open source technology. So do what Apple does, which is collectively develop the underlying infrastructure for your product through open source development uh, and then use that to create the experiences that are unique to Toyota or Jaguar, Land Rover or Honda, all of which are participating in our uh, automotive grade Linux uh, initiative. Now, that, when you do that, these companies that were traditionally not technologies companies are leveraging uh, uh, this collaborative development to get to market faster and become better tech companies. The advice I give these companies, to be specific and answer your question directly, is have someone in your firm in charge of managing external research and development. Because 80% of the code in a modern automobile doesn't come from the auto manufacturer themselves. It comes from open source projects that are created outside of those firms all over the world. And so uh, just as you spend billions of dollars on internal research and development, have somebody, at least one person, who's in charge of figuring out what external research and development, specifically open source software, you might integrate into your products and services. Awesome. Awesome. So I know you're short on time, so I'm going to ask you one one last quick question. Sure. Um, so the Linux Foundation is involved in just so many interesting technologies. Um, without picking a favorite child, 
what areas or trends are really grabbing your attention? I'll uh, pick a favorite shot. I'm going to do it. There you go. All right. I'm doing it. I'm picking a favorite. (laughs) I love the open container initiative lately. Now that may change, uh, but uh, I I really love this uh, project because it really is the promise of a portability layer for uh, the cloud. You know, where you can create a container-based application, and that application will run on EC2, on Google App Engine, on Microsoft Azure, or in uh, any kind of uh, private cloud that uh, uses that technology. I think that is a big deal. As, as you well know, sure. write once, run everywhere has been something that the tech sector has pursued for decades. Uh, we get a little closer each time. Uh, and this time, I think we have a real chance because of the opportunities that uh, Docker and container-based technology uh, create, uh, and in particular because the Open Container Initiative is explicitly uh, created to to solve this tough problem. That makes sense. All right. So I know you're on a, a tight timeline here, and you got to get to your next uh, interview and appointment. So I'll let you go here. But again, thank you very much for your time, and look forward to talking to you again in the future. All right. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media.